And we are back, folks, for another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Always a treat when I have a chance to sit down with my big fella who roamed the middle for the maize and blue in the early 80s. He was a first-round draft pick in the NBA, has been one of the best color commentators and analysts in all of basketball, college or pro, since hanging his his, uh, sneakers up, doing his thing over at Fox Sports Detroit with the Pistons as well. My good friend, Tim McCormick. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Sam. This is our time of year, isn't it? It is, man. It is. And, you know, in the time since we did the last one, because uh, we did two in the same week, we had Hunter Dickinson on. That was a, it was a great one. And then there was the the tragedy that took place at Michigan State that kind of uh, had us hit the pause button a bit. And it was one of those, uh, it was one of the few times where you could really see fans uh, players, everyone involved kind of get that there's something bigger than basketball. That was the, the vibe in the gym that day where, you know, there was cheering for Michigan State in the pregame. There was Spartan strong throughout where people were focused on the bigger picture. And that is, this is a tragedy that touches us all, especially in this state. I thought Tom Izzo's done a great job of meeting the moment. And I thought that everyone in the building last Saturday did the same thing. Yeah, and it seems like a long time ago. Uh, I really enjoyed the game, and it wasn't completely about the outcome. Mm-hmm. I loved the the compassion and the empathy and the sportsmanship shown by both teams and the coaches and the fans, too. Uh, rivalries are so great, and sometimes it goes too far. And to me, that's the way it's been with the Michigan-Michigan State game. Now, I've sat courtside um, in East Lansing. I've sat courtside in Ann Arbor during the rivalry. Um, The vulgarity and the hatred, it it was just always really hard for me to understand. Um, And it just seemed so necessary, unnecessary to me. Um, It was simply two teams that that were trying to win the game um, at Chrysler. And that's, that's the way I remember it. My hope two things happened that the families and the friends of the victims were um, they, they were honored. And and then also there was a reset of how the rivalry should work. Uh, I, I just kept thinking back to playing against Jay Vincent uh, when I was a freshman, Kevin Willis, Ben Tower, Sam Vincent. I don't remember ever any trash talking. Not not one time did anybody say anything during the game or pump their their fist or, you know, pound their chest. Um, And then I remember in the NBA seeing so many of the Spartans before and after me, like Greg Kelser and Magic Johnson and Scott Skiles and Sean Respert after me. And we were always closer based on the fact that we were involved in the rivalry. Like it just, I don't know. I just, I wish that's the way that it was and that we could get back to it because it, it's just it's just a game, and it's important. Like we want to win, but I don't know. I, I hope that that the Michigan Michigan State game was a step back towards the way it used to be. So I'm curious your your perspective as a guy who's seen heated rivalries. It to me it seems different from a fan perspective in that people have perspective. You could you could take I hate that team, and then not be I hate that person or I hate that guy. Right. And here's what I mean. I mean, you played in the NBA uh, in the age of uh, bird magic when they didn't like each other of of, you know, the Pistons Celtics 
when they didn't like each other of Pistons Bulls when they didn't like each other, right? You, you didn't like those teams. You didn't like the players on those teams, but uh, you, you love the fact that it was contentious and chippy, but it was never like for real. It just, it never seemed like, oh, it was going to bleed off the court. So I, I, I guess I personally draw a difference between sports hate and real hate. And I've always been able to separate the two. I do think that fewer people do that now but I'm curious, am I, am I off base about how it used to be that you used to have rivalries that were chippy on the court, but were fine off of it? Is that not the case? So I always played on a lot of teams that everybody liked. <laughs> they love seeing us come to town. Um, but, you know, I was, I, I remember I, I was the starting center for the Sixers and we played the Celtics, our heated rival last week of the season um playoff seating was you know was was right right at the end of the year i mean we were close with them and and i i remember this little old lady um you know wearing a celtics hat and you know tie game right at the end um she was a huge celtics fan she probably looked like you would think johnny most would sound like and, <laughs> and I remember catching her eye as I came to the bench for a timeout and she just yelled, McCormick, you suck. And I just thought it was the funniest thing. Um, I like I I never I don't think there was ever an opponent that I hated or was really angry with or upset with. Um, definitely not a team. I played against Michigan State and I played against Ohio State and it just was really hard basketball that was really easy to get up for. So I don't get it. I think social media has been a big part of it. I think Mike Hart's comments probably took it to another level. Um, you know, like Hunter Dickinson, when he put on his villain mask, I don't like that. You know, I, I don't think it's necessary. And, and I get the fact that, you know, he's trying to get himself fired up um, by taunting the crowd in Madison. I didn't love that either because it, it might be really good for him but I'm not sure if it necessarily helps his freshman teammates and some of the other guys to have the crowd just hating Michigan so much. So, you know, you know, I love Hunter, um, but I do. I, I, do. Just, I, I just don't, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not, that. that's not what I'm about. So, you know, it was just a little different for me. What do you think? Well, I, lo- I, I like that part of Hunter. <laughs> I, I like that part of Hunter. I like Bill Lambeer fouling out against the, the Portland Trail ba- Blazers and looking at the crowd when they cheer and taking a bow, you know, Adam, I, I like, I, I like that part of sport and competition, right? I get though, like I, I like, I liked it when, you know, the Pistons beat the Celtics in 88 and all the Celtics walked off the floor. People don't remember that. Yeah. Now, Kevin McHale sta- stayed out there and shook hands, but Bird, Parrish, DJ, all the rest of those guys, they walked off the court and didn't even want to shake hands. I, I like that kind of, that kind of, <laughs> if it's on the court, if it's yeah. on the floor. Now, maybe, maybe that's an old school way of thinking. Maybe in the day and age of social media, maybe you can't do that anymore because people are, people are so used to, you know, it, it being a, a nicer, less chippy environment or not being able to separate the two. Maybe social media has inflamed that a bit, and maybe I'm an old fogey in that regard, but that that's always been something that I liked about sport, but maybe people just can't have that kind of perspective anymore. 
I hear you. That, that makes sense. But I don't know. I never wore a villain mask, so it's hard for me to say. <laughs> hey, man. So what did you think? I, we'll get off of this. But they said Larry Bird was the biggest trash talker in the history of the game. Right? He, they he talked about smart, him. Too. He was smart. Like the things he said were funny. They were clever. They would get under your skin. But he would only do that to people that, you know, he like if you weren't his rival, if you weren't a star, he wouldn't waste his time with you. <laughs> See, but that, and that's what I'm talking about. I mean, I hate Bird, but I like that about him. Like, I hate Christian Leitner. Man, I, I said something about Christian Leitner uh, a couple of years ago. I said, I still hate Leitner. And then he said, you want me to send you? He actually hit me on Twitter. It was like, uh, I see you're a big fan. Want me to send you a T-shirt? And I actually yeah. kind of respected that about the guy. <laughs> so, like, I'm some nobody you. compared to Christian Leitner. He was like, yeah, I got a little jab for you right here. I kind of dig that, though. So the game I was telling you about at Boston Garden, um, it was really funny because actually it follows with your story that right at the end, you know, we were we were tied with like under a minute to go and there was a pick and roll and I was switched on to Larry Bird. So he's got the ball on the right wing about 15 feet away and he looked up at the clock and then he looked at me and saw how serious I was. Man, I was down in my stance. I, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. And he did something that made an impact on me. He started laughing. <laughs> like, like, like this was the defining moment of my career. And and I'm covering Larry Bird with the the, the Eastern Conference lead at stake and, and and national TV. And there's Dr. J and Charles Barkley and Danny Ainge and and Robert Parrish and McHale and and I've got a chance to stop Larry Bird. And then he gave me a, a, a really good ball fake and then a shot fake, and I bit. I went for it, and I, I was going to, like, knock this ball 20 rows into the stands, lead story on Center, cover of Sports Illustrated, the whole bit. And then I realized why he was laughing because he had shot faked me, and he was laying the ball, and he drove right by me, and I just got really schooled. That, that was the defining moment right there. Yeah, it used to, used to be, man, you had to show – that you could that that was a mental game. It was a mental part of the game. You had to show that you couldn't let you wouldn't let the opponent get in your head. And if you did, that was on you. But if yeah. you didn't, you could shut them up by beating them. Maybe that's maybe that's a day. Maybe that's a day gone by. But let's talk about the actual game, Michigan, Michigan State, because here we had a Michigan team, Tim McCormick, that actually closed out a game and played a little that? defense, little defense at right. times. Yeah. They actually closed out a game, uh, and it was a game that they wound up having to finish without Jet. So I, I thought to, as as much as we're going to talk about Doug McDaniel and how he started the game, we're going to talk about Kobe Bufkin because I wonder where you are on the Kobe train, right? Terrace Reed Jr. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the Terrace Reed game, Tim. I'm curious what you thought. Yeah, you, you know, you just you just mentioned a lot of names that that ha- spark a lot of different thoughts with me. First of all, um, it, it was too bad to see Jet go out, but I it really became apparent to me that when he's not on the court, they're a better defensive team. They're they're more cohesive, and there's more ball pressure, more containment. Um, I think Jet will get there eventually. He's going to have to. Um, I think that Doug McDaniel. And Kobe Bufkin are the most 
improved guard tandem in the entire Big Ten. Um, they took a big step from a confidence standpoint. Um, and I thought that Terrace Reed just dominated stretches with his rebounding and his toughness and his activity. Um, I think right now he should be in that Musa Diabati role and Michigan should go big. I think that that Hunter can play power forward or center. I think that when when Terrace is on the court, he's more of a, a true post guy, but he helps them so much in their rebounding and interior toughness and intimidation. And and especially when you look at Michigan's remaining schedule, there's a lot of guys on those 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 teams, Wisconsin, Indiana, Illinois, that you can play two big guys and get away with it. So Michigan State worried me a lot of the, the game. I just it just seemed like we could never close beyond two or three points. And then to have a run like that was was so impressive. That shot by Kobe got me to jump out of the chair. It was it was just really gutsy. Um just just a big smile on my face at the end of that game for a lot of reasons. Did you do the no, 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 yes thing with, with Kobe? Well, I guess it was at the end of the clock. So Yeah, there's nothing so he, he could do. Shoot. I, I mean, when he shot it, I was thinking, go get an offensive rebound. I really was. <laughs> so with with Terrace, man, I so happy for T. So so proud of him. You know, he wasn't on the court at the end of the Wisconsin game, and I thought he should have been. And I said as much. I'm no coach, but just watching the way that game played out, it felt like his impact on the game was was more tangible than what we were seeing from Will Cheddar in that contest, right? They come out in this next game, and Will Cheddar had himself a very rough first half. Terrace comes out, and you can really feel the difference rebounding and defensively. And I remember saying, I even tweeted this at halftime, T has got to stay on the court. He has got to stay out of foul trouble because that's the biggest key. If he can do that and be on the floor, he can be a big difference in this game. Give Will Cheddar credit. He came out and gave them some real good minutes out the gate in the second half. But they went back to Terrace Reed at the end of this game. And it's hard not to look at the finish of the Wisconsin game and not think that the coaches said, you know what, we need to have Terrace on the floor. Even though Jawan said, Tim, I've had him on the floor at the end of other games. That may be. But he wasn't on the floor at the end of the Wisconsin game. And he was at the end of the Michigan State game. And I thought that was a big difference in, in how the outcome played out. Yeah, so let's say, for instance, Terrace plays an extra 10 or 12 minutes against Wisconsin. I think Michigan wins because they were so dominated on the defensive boards, um, on on their own defensive boards. Wisconsin grabbed so many offensive rebounds, and I think the Terrace Reed would help in that area. Sam, let me ask you a question because I, um, I'm, I'm fascinated with, with watching Will Cheddar, and every time I see him, I think of Sam Webb. Because I knew, like, you were his his strongest advocate yeah. right from the start, and yeah. and I know I know that Phil Martelli likes him too, and he's had some really big plays. Especially he came back in the second half of the Michigan State game and made a couple of really nice buckets. But I'm curious, like, do you what do you see him long term? Is he is he a, is he maybe a starting starting no. power forward or no. like? What, tell me what you like about him, and, and I'll tell you what I think. So I like his presence. I, I like his energy. I like his effort. He can give you – he could give you some, some offense in spots that might be uh, some mismatch 
because he can stretch a team. He can shoot a three. He's he can put it on the deck a little bit for a guy that you might he you might be surprised by that rudimentary back to the basket deal. But from a minutes perspective and a contribution perspective, different game than Austin Davis, but similar kind of role. He's he's a backup guy. He's a he's a uh, you know a a guy who's going to give you some energy mm-hmm. off the bench. You know, give you maybe twelve minutes, fifteen minutes as he gets deeper in his career per game. But he is not – I've never thought he's a front-line guy, a starter. I think he's a guy that plays a specific role. He's going to give you energy. He's going to give you toughness, especially on a team where some of that you question at times. It's nice to have a jolt of that off the bench. But he doesn't give this team what Terrace Reed can give you. It's on both ends of the floor because what you right. what you got to worry about with him is he's going to be a liability on, on the defensive end. Uh, in in a lot of matchups, you know that's just not going to be his his forte. We saw as a finisher, that's not necessarily his forte in playing off a of hunter. You know, especially with all the basket cutting you have to do, that's going to be something you need to be able to do consistently. So I'm not, he's not a panacea. I'm not expecting him to be a superstar. He's not the answer. I just think he fills a very specific fills a very specific role that I think you need on this team, especially one at a time. You wonder, energy wise, you know how. Are they into this game? Having a guy like that off the bench, I think, really helps. Yeah, and I'm glad to hear you say that because, you know, the more I watch him, I, I do think that there are positives. He plays hard. He talks on D. He'll take a charge. He's a great teammate. Everybody likes him. Um, I think he's got the potential to be a, a pretty good three-point shooter. His form looks fine, but he's only 25% in a limited role. But long-term, I just wonder, can he score? Um, can he become that hybrid four? that can dribble, pass, and shoot. Um, I don't think he's a rebounder. I don't think he's a, a great defensive player. Um, and then yesterday, to, to see a starting lineup with Hunter Dickinson and Joey Baker and Will Cheddar, that's that's a, a that's a lot to like against Wisconsin. That might work along their front line, but I don't think that works against Indiana or yes. Illinois or, or the teams coming ahead of us. Um, and with that said, Sam, I really believe that, that – you know, if Ter- Terrence Williams, I think, could be your backup power forward, I think I would start Terrence, and I think that I would tell Will to keep on working right now. Yeah, and so I, I found myself sitting wondering from a rotation standpoint what they're – because I, I don't think they got to Terrence until like the 12-minute mark. I'm trying to remember exactly when he – I should have I should have taken a note, but I just remember thinking we're going to see him a lot sooner based on the way the last game finished. But clearly – as I try to put myself in the head of a coach, I think they're thinking about it from the standpoint of Hunter, giving Hunter a blow, saving Terrace to, for, for Hunter's backup minutes initially. And then mm-hmm. as they get deeper in the game, now we start playing them together more. But the, the objective being let's keep Hunter fresh out the gate. And then as we get into the second half, we'll, we'll play them together more liberally now that we have rested Hunter adequately enough to be able to let him go for the duration in the second half. I, at least that's the only thing that makes sense to me about what they could be thinking about not playing Terrace Moore out the gate. Man, they were they were resting Hunter at the beginning of the Rutgers game because he didn't get a post-touch until 1340. And and I was like, throw the ball to the, the big guy. Give him the ball. And, and I think well, you're you know probably right. He, well, let, let me stick up for the young guy. Let me stick up for the other fella. You know I love Hunter too. 
But there are a couple of times where, you know, Clifford Murray is sprinting down the court and Hunter's pointing like, hey, hey, get him. It's like, hey, that's your man, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's telling so, Daniel Daniel pick him up. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, yeah, twofold running the floor more both ways for Hunter because that's one of the ways in which you can get a get a touch quicker. And then, like you said, I mean, do a better job as improved as they are. And we'll get to talking about the backcourt guys, Hunter, I mean, um, uh, Dougie and Kobe. As improved as we've seen them be defensively the last few games, the backcourt be post-entry still can be a bit of a chore for this team, Tim. And I, you know, that that's one, that's another reason why I'm like, hey, the two big lineup is, is a good deal because you know what? A lot of times it's Hunter out high dumping it in, or if he if he's getting it, if he's getting it in the post, is he, he's sort of like in the high post even then and allowing like Terrace to get basket cuts and that kind of thing. It's just a little bit of an easier proposition, it seems to me, for Hunter to operate when Terrace is in the game too. There's no doubt. And I thought Hunter did some really horrible things defensively early, but he also did some great things defensively against Cliff. Because to, to get a big, strong, athletic guy like that and let him just back his way in, it puts the big guy in a horrible position. And and I would love to see Terrace Reed take some of those reps and and let Hunter like just say you know what I'm just going to worry about getting a rebound now and I'm going to watch Terrace do his thing that I think that's good for his peace of mind and look with Hunter this may be the home stretch of his college career now is the time for him to be the All Big Ten Hunter and get 20 and 10 and keep shooting high 55 60 percent this is his time is it, it's now. Or never, because I am. I'm not convinced he's coming back. I hope he does. On our podcast with him, he gave some great answers about legacy. But I don't. I don't really care about his legacy right now. I want him to get to the NCAA. Yeah, uh, a lot of that is dependent upon his teammates. Like you said, look for him. There, there were times, to your point, Tim, where look, he's got good position. Give him the basketball. Or allow him to allow him the chance for a repost. It's like okay, if the first, you know, if if he posts up and it's not there, it's like okay, well they just give up. Let him repost, you know, and and, and yeah. swing I'm gonna tell you what, swing that way. He's not going to repost because he's not going to kick it back out. They, they have not shown they're going to throw it back to him. And and so if he gets, it, I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a it's a situation where. The guys that get the ball on the wing need to have a Terrence Williams approach. He's pretty comfortable throwing it to Hunter because he spent his whole life throwing it to Hunter. Yeah. I think that if if you really watch on film, there's a lot of opportunities for old school fundamentals. You know, if you want to throw a bounce pass, you fake the pass up high and then you throw it low. If you want to throw it to the left, then you fake right and then throw it left. It's it's the old school, and I think there's a lot more opportunities for him to get it. And remember, if Terrence Williams wants to get an open shot, give Hunter Dickinson the ball and then move to open space. It may not be Hunter's pass, but you're going to scramble the defense and guys are going to get open shots. 100%, like you said, Tim, that that's intuitive. I don't even think you got to be deep in, in the basketball game to, to figure that part out. But I, and I haven't given up on them even in the last few games of the regular season into the Big Ten tournament. I haven't given up on them finding that because look at how improved, as you just mentioned, 
Dougie and Kobe are. Kobe for a longer stretch. I mean, you can look at the past two games, uh, last two games as a tandem, how well they play. But Kobe for a five or six game stretch. I mean, they were talking about it on the broadcast last night. I think the stat Jim Jackson gave was 13 of 23 from three. I think it's in the last five games, five or six games. I mean, well over 50%, very efficient. You know he can get to the rack. I was pleased to see him drive right, finish right in the game uh, yesterday yeah, because yeah, we've been yeah. seeing him, you know, drive right, finish left. I mean, it's, it's good that you could go both ways, but he was getting that shot blocked, right? So to see him, the, those fundamentals that we're talking about, it's all coming together for Kobe. You can see on a team he's been challenged defensively, how he's accepted the challenge of, hey, we might be struggling, but I'm going to do my best to, to be the guy, to be the stopper, to be the guy that lifts my team defensively comfortable in the shot clock situations he's doing a really good job there just really kind of taking on that alpha role on his team and frankly to you mentioned this earlier with with jet scouts are coming to watch jet and they see what a tremendous shooter he is and what tremendous potential he has but then you go and watch kobe and you say man this guy is affecting the game in more ways right now he might not be projected lottery like jet you get why Jet six eight and can do all the things he could do, but Kobe is sneaking on the first round towards him, and I get why. Yeah, I um, I looked at his numbers here. Let me pull these up. Um, Kobe double figures nine of his last ten games. His defense is better. One block shot and three steals versus Rutgers. Thirty eight minutes, so he's showing that he's pretty durable. Um, and this is the one that really surprised me. He shot over 50% from the field in seven straight games. He's playing like a pro. And, and I know that gets you worried. I I don't think that that his time is right now. And and if he asked my opinion, I would just say, look, Musa Diabati, right? Mm-hmm. And then Caleb Houston. How are they doing? Are they are they enjoying their life? Look, I, I know Musa, you know, he, he um he, he hasn't played in his last three games. He's had a couple of good moments for the Clippers. Um, but for the most part, I think that, that it would be better for him if he was playing 30 minutes a game and he was leading his team to the NCAA tournament and building his brand. Same with Caleb Houston. I, I was kind of anxious to watch him play last night against the Pistons. He didn't get in. He's averaging two or three points a game. But I, I just think that this is a time to develop and for Kobe, you want to go into the NBA full of momentum as a high lottery pick and somebody that they want to get in the lineup. He's not strong enough yet. He, he's made great progress. He may be the most improved player at his position in the Big Ten. I would keep going. Yeah, I, I think if, if Kobe comes back, look, he's going to be on more, more first-round draft boards. I, I'm, I'm convinced of that. It's, it's happening every time you see a mock draft now. And I don't think all of those are just throwing darts at a board. I think some of those are, are informed. They're starting to say, oh, yeah, this, this might be a guy to take a chance on. But, you know, with him, this is only his second year. It's not like JP. You know, JP, it felt like he had, he, he could do, he had done all he could do at the college level. You could see Kobe come, come back and, like you said, be a lottery pick and pair with, with Doug for another year who, Tim, I mean, you talk about a young fella that's showing so much growth. And it's, I said this to Phil Martelli, he's picking his spots real well, Phil. Picking his spots real well, making teams pay for going underneath screens or drop coverage on them. 
He's able to hit that mid-range jumper, better three-point shooter than we expect. And then when he makes him extend a little bit, now the drive becomes more lethal because he could, he's quick enough to get to a rim even when they play off. But when they play off, they can recover and block, affect or block his shot. But they extend out on you a little bit, which they are now. Now you're starting to see him be a little more effective getting to the rack too. He, he's active hands on, on defense. Hey, I'm not ready to say he's not a superstar, but in his role, he is affecting the game much in a much more positive way here of late. And if he can keep that up, these last few games, I'm not going to say Michigan is going to win them, but it's not out of the question to say that they could go down a stretch and actually win these games if they continue to get guard play the way they're getting right now. You know, his last two games against Rutgers and Michigan State, and, and those are both really, really good defensive teams, maybe the best in the Big Ten. 17 points a game, four rebounds, three assists, three steals, and he's starting to pick his spots more, as you said. He changes speeds a little bit. I had a flashback. I apologize to 90% of our audience because they won't know who this is, but you will. Ricky Green played with yes, Phil sir. Hubbard. You know, small guard, quick as can be, electrifying at times. Um, I'm starting to believe that that Doug's jump shot is going to go in when he shoots it. Mm-hmm. And and when you and I saw him at the top 100 camp, I would have never thought that he would be a high level shooter this this fast. So right, right. I just, I, I love watching him play. Yeah, he's he's come a long way. Consistency though. Yeah, I, I went with Kobe. I feel like it's going to be there. We've seen it like I think you gave a seven-game stretch here. I feel like Kobe is to the point now where you can say, that's what I'm going to get from Kobe. I don't know yet with with Doug. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's been a couple games, right? But that's what they need down the stretch. If they're going to build their resume the way they need to build it to make the tournament, Doug has got to play in every game the way he – and that doesn't always mean 17 points. But make the defense respect you. Be a factor. Knock down open jumpers. If they have to respect you, that might open up some things for, for your teammates. They have some payback. He said he needed to pay Michigan State back. He did out the gate. He was the scoring machine out the gate. You know this team is feeling like they have to pay back Wisconsin. So how do you see that game, Tim McCormick? Well, I would I would say this, that Wisconsin does not impress me you know, they they don't have the star power they've had in the past. There's no Sam Decker or Frank Kaminsky. Orlando Tucker's not there. John Lord, like they always seem to have a couple guys that are borderline pros. And and when you say that though, they just beat Iowa. You know, their, their defense is obviously really good. They're disciplined. They they held I I think low fifties. And Chris Murray, who a lot of people think is all Big Ten had five points in that game. Um, So if Michigan's forced to play a 50-point game against Wisconsin, I have concerns. If they get into the mid-60s and above, I I like that. And I think they definitely need Jet. Um, Their big guys are fun for me to watch. Steve Kroll and Tyler Wall are are kind of the same guy. They they both get 12 points and and seven rebounds. That, That 12 points doesn't seem like a lot, but it's about half of Wisconsin scoring total if you're thinking they're scoring around 50. Um, and that's why I like the idea of Terrace Reed and mm-hmm. Hunter Dickinson. I, our big tandem is better than theirs. Um, I worry about 
an outlier coming up with one of those 25 point games like Chucky Hepburn's he's got a big rep and Connor Asijan was really good against Michigan in Madison he was good against Iowa um but Michigan's got to win the rebounding game and it's got to be decisive um th- this is a team I- I've got great respect for Greg Gard I like the way they play they're unique um, they're they're like their football team. They're they're just kind of gritty and tough, and they they don't need five stars to to be able to win games. But they've got to be a little bit desperate too. They only have one victory more than Michigan, and we're getting to the home stretch here. So I, I think we're going to see their best game. Yeah, don't get uh don't get outworked. They Dude. got Michigan got outworked in that last game, and they all said coaches, you know. Rarely do you see the coaches get up and be outwardly critical of, of players in press conferences. Uh, and Juwan was, Phil was in the interview. They didn't just put it on the players, though. They said, uh, if we got guys and we get out-rebounded by, like that by a team that doesn't offensive rebound. They didn't even go to the boards. Right. They, right. That, that's, that's on us. Yeah. That's unacceptable. We got outworked in that game. So the, you've seen guards and wings. Since then, have you noticed how attentive they are on the glass, on box of that aim? That's not just a, a Hunter Dickinson and big fella thing. You guys, the, the guards and, and wings were getting to the getting to, to balls at will. That's hey, that's a team thing. So I expect that to be better. I'm hoping that the, the whistle isn't as ridiculous as it was in, in Madison, right? It should be turned about a fair play, should get a little bit of better of a whistle whistle, and then Terrace Reed. Like you gotta, you gotta have more Terrace Reed in this game. You have those factors in your favor. This is a game based on the way that Michigan played, even against Wisconsin on the road. Tim, they held them without a bucket, without a field goal for the last ten minutes. Huh. This is a game that Michigan should win. If you're going to be a tournament team, you got to beat Wisconsin at home. No business losing this game. Uh, that's not me guaranteeing the victory. I'm just saying that would be. A, a tough thing to overcome if you can't get that done. You know, I am. Um, I'm actually going to the Wisconsin game on Sunday, and I'm really excited about. It. I I haven't had a weekend break from a college broadcast in quite a while, and the last time I was in Chrysler was the night of the Michigan versus Central Michigan game, Ugh. and and I I remember walking out and I I had. Two thoughts. Number one, I said, I don't think that, that Michigan's going to play in the NCAA tournament this year. And, and the reason I thought that is because, number one, they just didn't look like they've got enough, you know, super high-level talent on this team, especially on the defensive end, and they were so darn young. And number two, I thought they're not going to make this tournament this year because of the fact that this central Michigan game is going to be a massive detriment to them in terms of their net rating. And I just, I had an image of a bunch of guys in a room trying to to figure out the last few teams in the tournament. And then when they got to Michigan, they said, well, they lost to central Michigan who's in the three hundreds. I just had a horrible feeling and it's kind of come true. My, My last thought was, I, I won, I'll see another game this year at some point, and I was wondering if Michigan would be on the bubble. They're still not. Right. No, it's an anchor. Central Michigan game is an anchor, so you got to do, do something 
that really gets attention. You got to win these, uh, you know, lose one of these down the stretch and make, win a couple in the Big Ten tournament, win them all down the stretch and win a couple in the Big Ten. That's the kind of attention you need to get, kind of resume building effort you have to have down the stretch if you're going to overcome all those close losses, especially that anchor loss to Central Michigan. Look, that's an episode. We are going to come back next week, talk about Wisconsin, preview these last two road games against Illinois and Indiana, and talk about how these Wolverines are looking heading into uh, the Big Ten tournament. Until then, folks, appreciate your time. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it. Be sure to review it. Tell all your friends about it. They can find it wherever they get their podcasts. It's Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Of course, if you like us on YouTube, like the channel, subscribe or subscribe to the channel, like the videos. That way you get a notification every time we get another episode up. And finally, last but not least, follow us over on the MichiganInsider.com. $1 gets you in your first month. Once you become a full-paying member, Paramount Plus is a part of your subscription. The Series 1923 is outstanding. If you like Yellowstone, you'll love 1923. It's a prequel. Mayor of Kingstown, another great show. Paramount Plus, great bang for your buck when you're a member of the MichiganInsider.com. Until next time, folks, thanks for watching another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider.